This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. largely credited as one of the founders of rock and roll. We've been remembering and paying tribute to Chuck Berry since he died on Saturday at the age of 90. If you have any memories that go along with Chuck Berry music, give us a call. 416-360-0740-1866-744-740. Musicologist Eric Alper joins us. Uh, you were in earlier this morning with us on The Happy Gang. Nice to have you back again, Eric. Oh, it's always so good to be on this station and to talk to you, too. Oh, thank you. Well, let's discuss, uh, let's uh, let's talk about why he is credited. Chuck Berry is one of the founders of rock and roll music. What was it about his music that was so new and uh, what nobody else had really done until that point? Yeah, I, I think I think that that's exactly it. I, I, because he he did something that nobody else was doing at the time, you know. If there was going to be a rock and roll Mount Rushmore, you would have to put Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, Fats Domino, Little Richard up there. But you would also have to put Chuck Berry. And while, you know, a couple of those guys are piano players and there's nothing wrong with playing the piano, there was just something about playing the guitar and having teenagers, not just in Canada, and in America, but over the pond in the UK, where people were watching this guy play the guitar, sing his own songs, and do it well while entertaining the crowd, there was just something very, very cool about that. And, um, you know, certainly John Lennon was watching, Paul McCartney was watching, Keith Richards was watching, um, Eric Clapton, among others. And there was just, um, you know, he was one of the first people to actually merge rhythm and blues, blues and country and turn this into something brand new, which was rock and roll. Who do you think, or I'm sure you know, who influenced Chuck Berry? What what drove him to create his own brand of rock and roll? I think a lot of the, the artists that Chuck kind of grew up with um, was pretty much, you know, working on the, on that blues style. You know, he, he was mixing a lot of um, you know, late Nat King Cole stuff and Muddy Waters. Um, but essentially, you know, where he was first traveling to Chicago back in the mid-1950s, he met artists like Muddy Waters and, and Leonard Chess from Chess Records. And a lot of it happens to be those blues people and those country artists um, that he listened to as a kid on the radio stations um, when he was when he was growing up in St. Louis. And then when he moved to Kansas City, um, that's where he started to get a little bit more of the rhythm and blues stuff. So it was essentially all of these artists that a lot of these blues guys used to listen to, whether it was Robert Johnson right. or women like Big Mama Thornton, people and artists that were on Paramount Records and later on on Chess Records. 
When we think back to his life, uh, when he was a young man, he almost didn't go into music, right? He he <laughs> sort of started down another path. Yeah, you know, he he unlike you know a lot of other musicians that we know of now that have been around for a long time. It's really cool to think that nobody had any idea that you could last longer than six months playing music for a living. It just wasn't something that was a viable option. So he did a lot of like jobs, whether it was like a hairdresser and he worked as a carpenter in some cases. But then, you know, he almost didn't actually make it out to the real world because he kept getting in trouble. He had um, he got charged with armed robbery when he was still a student in high school and then stealing a car at gunpoint with some friends. So there were times, you know, before that he was 21 years old, where he got a look at the inside of a prison for um, quite a quite a mound of times. And this certainly wasn't the last batch of times that he would end up in a little bit of hot water, too. And yet he was really grounded, right? His, his parents were middle-class African-Americans. Um, they held professional jobs. Uh, so, so he would have had a very solid childhood. I think a lot of artists from that era were when you realize that you're listening to the transistor radio or listening to vinyl records as a kid and as a teenager, you don't know where these people have come from. You don't know where these artists are based. You don't even know the color of their skin. Mm. So they have a little bit of a different upbringing than most of these kids. In fact, a lot of the booking agents that used to book Chuck Berry had no idea that he was black. They just thought that he was a white guy coming from the South. And so I think that that's where that groundedness has to come from, is that you accept people at base value. You accept people um, based on what they do and who they are, rather than any preconceived notions that come across, especially when you are you know, living down south and money is hard to come by and you just have to get by based on your ingenuity and your creativity. You know, we speak about his race and that uh, promoters might have thought he was white before meeting him. And uh, we are on the line here with musicologist Eric Alper about Chuck Berry. Your memories are also welcome. You've been listening to his music for decades and decades. 416-360-0740, Was Was he affected by racism as, as most people were in the 50s and 60s? Was that something that fueled him in his music or did he largely dismiss it and not pay attention to it? I think he was very well aware that his music was bringing teenagers together, no matter where they were coming from, what class they were coming from, what color they were. When we think of what the audiences were like around the time of Chuck Berry, we're only realizing now just what a profound influence Chuck and the Beatles had on segregation, on the, the, the mixing of cultures and the mixing of schools and the mixing of areas. In fact, both Chuck Berry and the Beatles were shocked to find out that they were playing in venues where the, they were being separated based on color. The whites would be downstairs and the blacks would be basically upstairs. Um, the Beatles refused to play any venue that had a segregated audience. and Chuck Berry did the same. And in fact, the Beatles took that stance based on Chuck Berry's stance originally. Um, so Chuck was very well aware 
that his music was bringing a lot of people together, especially in this newfound group called teenagers that nobody had really thought of them as a subculture before. You know, with the wars just over, there was a lot of free time to be had from teenagers. And for the first time, they had disposable income and they were spending it on entertainment and music. Yeah, you're right. I mean, at no other time in history, or at least over the last century, have we seen such a difference in the music that parents listen to as opposed to what their teenage children listen to. Absolutely. You... You just go to any concert right now from any major pop star, whether it's The Weeknd or Pink or Drake, and you'll literally see ages 8 to 80. And there really is no separation um, anymore between some of the biggest artists um, in the world. You'll see parents and adults and, um, and teenagers and kids alike all enjoying the same show. That wasn't happening back in 1950s. Um, there was a clear separation between this generation and the future and also the music and the, the, the style of clothing, the kind of cars that they were driving, their, their speaking mannerisms, their slang. It was a clear-cut indication that you were either young in the future or you were old and you had to get out of the way. And Chuck Berry actually started to make things like that acceptable for teenagers to be able to walk on their own path and be on their own planet, per se. And that's where you end up with not only the Beatles later on, but then artists, you know, like Bob Dylan, um, you know, also dividing that, that clear separation between you understand this music, your parents don't. So just keep listening to me. Why? I mean, we've talked about who Chuck Berry influenced uh, all of the major players in rock and roll to this date. Uh, what about his influence on the music industry and rock and roll in general? I mean, you can still we've been listening to so much Chuck Berry over the last couple of days. So much of it stands up and still sounds like great music. It does. It does sound dated in that we know it comes from many generations, a couple of generations ago, but it's still very listenable. And he's still talking about the exact same things that that our kids are going through right now. It's it's the the humorous description of teen dances, of cars, of high school life, of girls. You know, you take a look at the, the charts, and they're still singing about teen love, in you know, just as much as as Chuck Berry or Paul Anka was singing about puppy love or Neil Sedaka. It was singing about you know wishes of good times of of contributing to music, not only um, the the style of it, being really cool when you're up on stage, um, you know, playing that guitar, uh, being a showman, you know, playing for the girls, because you knew that if the girls were coming to your show, the boys would soon follow. <laughs> right. Um, and those are just, you know, those are still things that rock and roll artists do to this day. Eric, we've got Steve from Scarborough on the line. Steve, you've got a story to share with us? Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you doing? Good. Uh, very good. Yeah, actually, I was fortunate enough to be very good friends with a man named Ted Kowalski, who was the original tenor in the Diamonds. Mm-hmm. And he knew Chuck Berry quite well. And uh, he just told me a story one time where um, he said Chuck was probably the nicest guy he knew out of all the guys that they used to tour with. Um, and it was back in the, in the days when they used to do the, the, the tours and they would tour on the buses and it would be a whole gang of them. And they were finishing, a, uh, he told me they finished, a, an afternoon, uh, matinee and, uh, they were going to do another show later on that night. 
So when they uh, when they finished the matinee, anyways, they all went back to the hotel, and uh, they were all in. Um, the, they all went to the Diamonds uh, hotel room, and there was there was the Diamonds. There was Chuck Berry. He told me Buddy Holly and the Crickets were there, and I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he mentioned uh, Eddie Cochran. Mm-hmm. And anyways, he said that they all were sitting in the room. He said that they, uh, Eddie and Chuck, or Chuck and uh, and Buddy were playing the guitar, and they're all having this great big sing along. He was just telling me the story, and I thought, well, if I imagine the talent in that room, I would have yes. killed to uh, be in there with them at that point. Right. And, you know, and I'm wondering, too, Eric, thanks for your story, Steve. Um, That's an awesome story. Well, and he was if, if you wonder, you know, that there is that saying nice guys finish last. But I think sometimes that humility and kindness, that goes a long way to for for longevity, not only in a career, but with personal relationships as well. And he clearly had that in his life. Especially in the beginning. It wasn't until, you know, sometime around the mid 60s when he started to feel very, very bitter at things that were happening around him that he couldn't control and things that he could control. When the Beach Boys were starting to have hits based on his sound, like Surfing USA, they gave him credit for some of the songs, but not for all of them. It turned out that there were a lot of guitar players that were literally just stealing his riffs and his guitar playing without acknowledging or giving him credit. And, you know, like most musicians, money talks more than anything else. His trouble and his his run-ins with the law, with the injustice of his prison experience, getting um, basically scolded and sent to prison based on on impartial and racist judges, um, made him erratic and and moody. Um, His complete unrehearsing of backing bands, his getting paid in cash because he wanted to not claim anything to the government or the IRS. And it turned out that it only took him 20 years for the for the IRS to catch up to him with that one. Um, and also, you know, of course, those 59 women who um, allegedly, you know, charged him with, with keeping Tom, with, with, um, with watching him um, in the bathroom stalls of, of various places. And all of that co- com- combined with, I think, just essentially getting ripped off a lot as a musician, like most musicians did, made him really nice in the beginning, but then you know, made him a little bit more difficult to deal with as, as his life went on. Do you think he, and we only have a few seconds left, he kind of, he came to terms with his life? He, he had the closure he needed when he uh, left us at the age of 90 on the weekend? Oh, absolutely. I think you know, any musician that lives that long of a life and, and signs a brand new record to be released sometime later on this year, I think he knew what the legacy of Chuck Berry was. I think he lived it all day long as people, whether it's musicians or fans or people in the media, came up to him and uh, told him just what a profound influence they've had on his life. So, Eric, 90, yeah. a good way to go. It's a good run. Eric, thanks so much. It's, it's, it's such a pleasure listening to your stories. Oh, no problem. Happy to do it. We'll talk soon. Talk to you soon. Musicologist Eric Alper on Chuck Berry. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.